Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and happy Friday. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Uh, we talked about the history of migraine on the show this week. Um, man, this whole episode brought up so many feelings for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I had actually forgotten about my grandmother talking about her sick headaches until um, I was having a conversation with my dad. And so this must have been in 2019 uh, because I have not seen them yet since it has become a little safer to travel. Um, And I don't even remember how the subject came up, but he mentioned something about it. And he, uh, he mentioned my grandma, Jenny, saying, talking about her sick headaches. And I was like, oh yeah, I totally remember that. And then my dad said that um, he can have migraine attacks uh, if he like eats too much really dark chocolate, I think was the thing that, that he described as a, a trigger for him. I had pretty bad recurring headaches when I was uh, like a child and a teen and a young adult, uh, but never with any of the other symptoms that are associated with migraine attacks. Right. Um, And I also never, except for when I was a little kid and I was having weird headaches and I didn't know what was going on, like my mom took me to the pediatrician and it turned out that was sinus headaches. So then I knew what a sinus headache (laughs) felt like. Uh, But I had a lot more like sinus headaches and tension headaches. And I remember going to the doctor one time and being like, I feel like I have a headache all the time. And my doctor said, you have uncontrolled allergies. And I was like, oh, yes, you are correct. I do have uncontrolled allergies. Let's fix that. Let's fix that. Um, I sometimes would have a headache that was bad enough that I just had to go to bed. But unlike a lot of people describe with their migraine attacks, like I could go to bed and go to sleep and sleep it off. It was not something that was waking me up out of sleep or preventing me from sleep. Yeah. I'm the wussiest human on earth about headaches. Like, I, I hate them. And even a mild headache is very upsetting to me. I have only had one in my life that fits a lot of the descriptors of a migraine. You know, like the sensitivity to light and like just uh-huh. the intensity and the nausea and like uh I have no idea what that was about. Like it, it was and it hit as I was walking into a movie that had a lot of cuts that faded to white. And so it just kept getting worse and worse. Oh, and I eventually no. just left and went and sat in the lobby and waited for the people I was with to be done. But like, it was a one and done. I've never had another one like that before. And that was in like my early 20s. But I mean, I, I, like I said, during the episode, I definitely had a family culture where it was like bad headache. People would be like, oh, you have a migraine. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, it wasn't until much later in my life that I realized, like in my 20s, that I realized like, oh, no, people with actual migraine have a whole different jam than just getting a really bad <laughs> headache. Right. Like my first exposure was a coworker who was literally like, it would hit her. She did not get a lot of the warning signals. Mm-hmm. And like, it would literally just crumple her body. Like it would be so bad and so intense and she would be nauseous and and uh, all all of those problems that are, you know, kind of acute and intense. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is different than headaches that I understood to be migraines. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is real. Yeah. I found the whole portion of the research for this episode that was about how 
uh, a lot of sort of sexist preconceptions evolved around migraine in the uh, 18th and 19th centuries. I got just enormously frustrated uh, with that because it really feels like people took migraine more seriously before those ideas started to evolve. So, like, the medieval treatments for migraine attacks probably didn't really work, but, like, they were there and people were working on it. Uh, And as things have evolved until today, considering how prevalent migraine is and how serious and disabling it can be, it's really underfunded and under-researched compared to a whole lot of other things, and it's really hard for people to get diagnosis a lot of the times. And then the idea of people having a hard time getting diagnosed with things, like, it doesn't just apply to migraine. It applies to so many other conditions as well. And I just, uh, I got very angry about all of that during the research. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's also that problem, right, that persists. We touched on it a little in the episode, but, like, for people that don't have migraine and they do kind of equate it to just a really bad headache there is often a level of dismissiveness. Yeah. Like, I remember a boss, he was not my boss, but was in a different department at a job where we had a coworker that had really quite debilitating migraines. And he was always, never actually said it, but kind of always gave the impression that he believed this person was faking to get out of work. Like, Oh, yeah. And that's not an outlier, at all, yeah. which is very problematic. Yeah. I had a coworker at one of my first jobs who started dealing with migraine attacks really while we were working there together. Like we were in the same age, basically the same job position. And she was having to miss a lot of work, both because of being in the middle of migraine attack, but then also because of like trying to go to doctors to figure mm-hmm. out what was going on and like get a treatment that actually helped her. And then also left for another job. And our boss told me he thought she had been lying about her migraines to go to job interviews. And that was more than 20 years ago. And I'm still mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a, like, like we said, it's a persistent problem of mis, based on misunderstanding and people not really taking it seriously. Um, Which just stinks because here's my thing. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, someone just had a regular headache. But if they feel cruddy enough that they think they cannot work, have some grace. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. There's a weird weird thing about wanting and expecting people to work through discomfort and feeling ill that I think is even worse in the migraine and headache area but it's just across the board kind of a general problem in a lot of workplaces. Yeah. Yeah, I know there were folks who really hoped that the pandemic would lead to generally more grace of allowing people to have time off if they were ill. Um, And at least at this moment, does not seem to be something that's been universally adopted across businesses here in the U.S. No. It's a whole culture. This week, we talked about something super disgusting. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Adulterated milk. <laughs> but it is one of those things that I really didn't know anything about. So when I stumbled across it, I was like, 
What? Yeah. Well, and the 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 food safety story that I think a lot of people are more familiar with is uh like the the slaughterhouse scandals um that were covered a lot more widely. Uh not as much about the milk. We've talked before on the show about uh in the butter versus margarine episode about the idea that margarine was being made with impure ingredients, but it's a little bit different nuance. Yeah, the um, most of the slaughterhouse stuff happened, you know, a couple, a few decades later. Um, the milk one really, though, endured. I mean, it was going on for a long time and people were fighting it, which to me is just terrifying. Like, I can understand why there were some people who were like, I'm not using milk at all because I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Especially if this strange mixture was, in some cases, making a convincing doppelganger for actual good milk. Yeah. I I can't imagine it would, but I don't know. I'm not about to mix chalk and plaster into my milk to see how it turns out. Um, Oh, so gross. Mm -hmm. Uh, You you grew up in a a milk-drinking house, yes? Well, yes. So milk-drinking house, part of it was just that I particularly liked milk, and I drank a lot of it. Uh, My brother had a lot of allergies when he was little, And so for a while, when I was a kid, we were getting our milk directly from a goat farm because he didn't have the same allergy response to goat milk as he did to cow's milk. Um, And I continued to drink milk a lot, pretty much into my early adulthood, like college years. And then I eventually tapered off. Like, I don't, if I am drinking a glass of milk at this point, it's because the thing I just ate is too spicy. And even though there's some debate about whether milk really helps with that, right. it makes me feel a little better. I have never been a big milk drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I've historically really, like as a kid, forget it. You were not going to get me to drink a glass of milk. I would literally sit there and stubbornly gut it out in my chair for as long as it took until my mother would take that business away. For yeah. no reason that I know. I just probably got it in my head that I didn't like it. Um, I would use it in cereal without a second's thought. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I just didn't want to drink a glass of milk for whatever reason. And I I have always used it in coffee, although um, I have definitely found since probably my 30s when, like, nut milk started to be on the rise, that I just have a way easier time with those in terms of, like, my body being like, yes, I'm cool with this to digest it. I can handle that, no problem. Yeah. And I I married a man who is very lactose intolerant, so that works (laughs) out. (laughs) Um, I cut all the dairy out of my diet at one point. Uh, because I felt like it was making my acne worse. Uh-huh. Um, that's just my own personal experience. I I I do not I do not need papers about <laughs> about what, uh, about that. Um, and I kept that up for a while, and I think that might have been the thing that like eventually just sort of cut off the desire to just drink a glass of milk. Um, I do eat some cheese now and put some butter on things. I eat plenty of cheese. I get a lot of cheese in my diet. But uh, yeah, for my my coffee, it's which I drink a lot of. It's usually an oat milk these days. Delicious, marvelous. I uh, I bought a thing of um, I think almond milk during the early early months of the pandemic. Intending to use it to make chia seed pudding because I have a chia seed pudding recipe that I really like. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And I never got around to doing that. And so now it's like I'm slowly making my way through this needs to be consumed and not wasted <laughs> almond milk that I have. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting thing, right? Anytime you talk about any consumable item, just as we demonstrated, one, everyone has an opinion about what you should be putting in your body. And two, that has been going on for centuries. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know about that Cotton Mather uh, writing that was like, God will punish you if you don't breastfeed your babies. And I was just like, whoa, man. Yeah. Right out of the gate. Cotton Mather needs to mind his own business. <laughs> no joke. Um, yeah, and there's always, I mean, uh, I it kind of comes down to that thing, right, where you were saying, please don't send me papers about uh, whether or not dairy and acne are actually connected. Uh, there's certainly validity that for some people that kind of response could happen because everybody's mm-hmm. body is different and you respond to things with different inflammatory responses. And so, you know, I appreciate that everyone thinks they have all of the information on what is best for everyone else. But really, that's between you and your doctor. <laughs> just, yeah, just as a general rule, everybody can focus on their own food choices. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah, but uh, now, thank goodness, regulations all over the place. Yeah. I can't imagine some of the things that were going on in these places. And it's horrifying and not something I want my brain to linger on, um, both for all of the babies who were dying in horrible ways because their bodies could not obviously process the disgusting things they were being fed by well-intended mothers, surely. And also because those animals were treated horribly and everyone involved. I understand the people who are like, everyone in the supply chain should be punished. Totally get that that mentality. Um, But in happier thoughts, I sure am excited to make that meatloaf. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I really am. Um, Kristen's recipe looks very good. I can always uh, check with her and see if maybe we could share that recipe on our social, uh, if she'd be comfortable with that. If anyone else wants to make it, I think it would be a great testament to just the concept of like family recipes that get passed down. If everybody started making her mom's secret recipe (laughs) meatloaf, that would delight me to no end. As a meatloaf lover, mm, can't wait. Um, I hope that you, if you are headed into a weekend, get a chance to eat and possibly make, if you like cooking, all kinds of delicious things and that you get some restful time if that is the way your week is structured. If you have responsibilities or you have to work over the weekend, I hope all of that goes as smoothly as possible. We'll see you on the other side. In the meantime, we do have a classic for you tomorrow and then a fresh episode on Monday. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.